You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Wisconsin Sports Heroics Podcast on the Packernet Podcast Network. My name is Sam Holman. I'll be your host for tonight. And we are going to be talking about the Packers beatdown of the Vikings, specifically the defensive side of the ball. I I mentioned last week, for anyone who wasn't here, that I'm going to be kind of narrowing down my focus on on these games to just talk about what I noticed from the defensive game plan, kind of what the defense is doing, what's changed, how they're adapting as the season goes on, just because that's really my area of interest. And I, I think the stuff that I talk about, the the best and that I have that I'm most passionate about. So you're just going to be kind of sticking to that side of the ball. Uh, there are a ton of good content creators out there who can help you learn about the offense, you know, Dusty Evely and some of those other guys. I'm just going to kind of refer these part podcasts going forward. Um, I'm going to be focusing on that defensive side of the ball and the defensive game plan. And man, they had quite the defensive game plan this week, uh, but we're going to get into that. I would say the first thing I would bring up with the with the defense performance defensive performance overall is I thought the defensive front performed really really well. You know there were obviously some some weaknesses that they were able to exploit along the Vikings offensive line. They not only had their backup center in there, but he went out pretty early on in the game, and they had their third third string center in there. Their their starting right guard. He's a rookie. He's he might be the worst right guard in the in the NFL. He lead before the game. He he led the league in sacks and pressures allowed, and he probably did not improve on that uh, after the game either. Uh, but e- even against the the tackles, uh, I forgot to mention Brian O'Neill. Their their very good right tackle went out with an injury as well, which obviously made things a little bit easier. Um, but just multiple guys pretty pretty much everyone along the defensive line was finding ways to win even against their probably their best remaining offensive lineman Christian Darrisaw their their left tackle coming into his second year I mean Justin Hollins was winning against him Kingsley Anikbari was winning against him and it wasn't domination but they they won reps and were able to get pressure on Kirk Cousins Hollins had a sack going against uh Darisaw and you know on the interior you had Kenny Clark. He was wreaking havoc quite a bit. He obviously had the strip sack that kind of at the beginning of the second half that I felt really took away any momentum, any chance the Vikings had at coming back, uh, kind of pulling a, a Colts like comeback. 
Uh, but Jaron Reed got some pressure. Devontae Wyatt was getting in there a little bit, though he, he wasn't to, to the same level as some of those other guys. But it's just great to see the defensive front really dominating, uh, to at least to some extent. And then, I mean, TJ Slayton kind of took over the game, right? He had, I believe, it, there were a handful of tackles for loss, at least one tackle for loss. Uh, there might have been another one that didn't quite count as a tackle for loss, but it's tackle for no gain. Um, he had multiple other tackles. He had uh, two passes defensed, I think, one of which led to the Adrian Amos interception. And he played a key part in that goal line stop uh, after the the uh, blocked punt that the Packers had early on, which really really could have swung the course of the game. If they don't stop them there, I mean, that's, that could be a completely different game. But go, that sequence, actually, he you could argue that he... Uh, Basically, made uh, all in all three downs uh, of that goal line stop. He was a, an integral part of that. On the on first down, uh, they had a play. Vikings had a play action pass. He wins pretty quickly against his guard in pass protection. Gets into Kirk Cousins' face along with Preston Smith and force him to uh, throw it away. And then uh, second down, the Vikings try to run it right up the gut. He and Kenny Clark are kind of there at nose tackle there in the middle, and they don't give up any ground uh, against the double teams that they're facing. They allow the the edges of the pocket to collapse inward and the the rest of the defense to uh, tackle Dalvin Cook for no gain. And then third down, he uh, managed, he penetrates into the backfield, uh, forces Dalvin Cook to widen out his path, and Adrian Amos and Jair Alexander and some of those other guys from the defense finish him off, uh, I believe, for a loss. Uh, at least for no gain, the, the the line between loss and no gain is kind of kind of slim. Sometimes uh, a lot of plays, I think, go for a loss. Actually, go for no gain, but kind of a tangent there. But he had an awesome game. I mean, just he was making an impact in the run game in the past game. It's what we wanted to see out of him all along, and it, it's going to be kind of ironic if. Uh, Dean Lowry's injury forces the coaches to put Slayton and Wyatt on the field more and they actually you know contribute to what is shaping up to be a a real chance in the postseason for the Packers I mean obviously still got the lines but things are things are looking pretty good right now um so that that was one of the first things I noticed when I was rewatching just the defensive front they were able to get cons- pretty consistent pressure, pretty consistent uh, pocket collapsing. Uh, and then that really helped the the game plan. Obviously, it doesn't matter how many guys you put on Justin Jefferson. If Kirk Cousins has 10 seconds in the pocket, he's going to be able to find someone. Um, but moving on, I mean, I think that the big thing that everyone saw uh, for, from the game plan was how they dealt with Justin Jefferson. Uh one catch for 15 yards. I believe that's one of the only times in his career he's been held with without multiple catches, which is honestly insane and a huge part of it. Don't get me wrong. The screen played a part, but a huge part of it was Jair Alexander just being insane. I mean, that that play where he he uh, guarded, guarded uh, Jefferson one-on-one up the sideline and batted the ball away and then hit the gritty right in his face was – that was amazing. I mean – yeah, and just speaking from someone watching at home, I felt like that first quarter might have been the most insane first quarter the Packers played in years. Like just for in terms of an energy standpoint, in terms of exciting plays with the Nixon uh, return touchdown with the Savage pick six. I mean, it was a ton of fun to watch, and that that gritty, you know, 
it may not have been the most impactful of, of moments, but it might have been the most fun from the game. Um, but what what they really did kind of though to to shut down Justin Jefferson, um, they didn't put Jair on him one on one all day all day. I mean that would just you know not be smart because Jefferson he might be the best receiver in the league even if you have perfect coverage on him. He you know if they are able to throw it up to him he he might catch it. Um, and, and he's going to win some as good, as good as any defender is the, the rules in the NFL are tilted towards the offense. And so that wide receiver, you know, whatever corner he goes against, he he's going to find a way to get, get production. And so I think it was smart for them to give Jair some help in, at some points. It doesn't take away from the awesome job he did for most of the game. I mean, it's, People, I think, underestimate how hard it is to to guard those guys one on one, um, or in situations where you you um, for for a lot of the rep you're one on one because they weren't they didn't actually use traditional double teams a whole lot. It was a lot of um, a lot of times where they were shading coverage to him. You know, a safety kind of had eyes on him. Uh, that that kind of thing on early downs. One of the big things was they played cover two a whole lot, which allowed Jeff, uh, allowed Jair to be you know more aggressive, jamming Jefferson at the line. Um, and that didn't mean he couldn't go overboard. That didn't mean he could go overboard because he still had to be able to recover and protect that sideline a little bit to to allow the safety time, not not undress the safety in the deep half, but. Um, that well, that was a, an important part of the game, but especially early on, like that first drive or so. And one of the another interesting thing that they did, um, they they actually changed up a lot of they they pulled out some new stuff that I haven't seen them really use before. Um, in the coverage uh, portion of the playbook, they they really pulled out some some interesting. Uh, coverage concepts where they were they were matching routes really closely. It was essentially like almost Nick Saban, Alabama, Georgia, like man matching routes where they were basically playing man except in cer- certain situations where they would zone off into into areas of the field. Um, Fangio that the Fangio version of that is called Cover Fifty Seven, and there's some ways you can kind of like modify that to to deal with different route combinations, different threats. Um, they have some different tools to deal with star receivers and kind of the main things that they were doing is they were using uh, cut technique and slice technique, uh, which cut is essentially when the, when the receiving threat is at the number one position on the outside on the boundary, the corner is going to kind of protect be, be in man to man coverage with him and kind of protect against any outbreaking routes. But if he, you know, breaks inwards, then the safety can come off the roof and cut up and nail down on that route. The corner will kind of zone off and replace to replace the safety. Um, so, so it's a way to create better angles for your secondary against a star, a star receiver. And then the kind of its counterpart is slice, which is for when the, that receiver lines up in the slot. It's kind of the same deal. The whoever is you know over him in man coverage on him in the slot. Is gonna you know cover those those outside routes, and then the safety is gonna be available to nail down on in breaking routes where the the corner doesn't have the same leverage advantage. So 
they use that a bunch. And the kind of the big difference between now and week one is a lot of a lot of that tighter matching to routes, right? They didn't in week one they kind of used that that sort of style, that sort of what in theory was kind of the same idea uh, where they were trying to get multiple eyes on him, but they were doing a lot from zone match stuff rather than man match, which means that you're going to have a lot more free releases. You're going to not be able to play as tight to routes as you are in, in that man match type type of stuff that they were able to get to with the, the cover, the 57 package, which I, I should clarify that uh, in the Fangio terminology um, or what I take as a Fangio terminology 57, so 5 is nickel, uh, when you have obviously a nickel corner in the field. And then 7 is the coverage, which is essentially man-match quarters. Um, And so that that was one of the big coverage options they used, especially that was what they used a lot on third downs. Um, They used cover due on earlier downs, which was more of a zone-ish type look. And then they played even tighter. Uh, on those third downs, but even as the game went on, they started to turn to that some of that cover seven stuff uh, on later downs. Um, before I get to a couple other uh, adjustments and new looks that they showed, I'm going to take a quick break for some messages from our sponsors. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right. We are back talking about the defensive game plan uh, that managed to basically hold the Vikings to three points uh, other than garbage time. Kind of talked about that that cover seven, that more tight version of man matching quarters, and kind of off of that, one of the another interesting thing they did was when they did go to zone match quarters a little bit later in the game, like in the second quarter, third quarter, do uh, what they would. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what the design is because they would essentially send Quay on a blitz, but they would play quarters behind it, so they were they were. Um, having a five-man rush, but keeping uh, six in coverage, which, uh, yeah, that that math, that math works out. I had to think about it for a minute. Um, but I'm really interested to try to figure out what they were doing because they must have been accounting that what they were doing is playing, you know, tight on some of those other on the routes from the tight ends, the one receivers, and then 
the the running back on the they basically did this on just a couple snaps, but whenever they did, the running back would stay in to protect. I'm really curious if the running back had flared out, what they would have done because I know that some of those types of designs, though, that that's almost a built-in what they call hug rush, which is where a second-level defender, like a linebacker or safety, sees their their man assignment blocking and they essentially add on to the rush. I actually don't think that's what it was because Quay basically went off the snap. It, he didn't really have time to read what that what that running back was doing and whether or not you know he was into block. He essentially just shot off uh, at, at the snap. And another thing is that um, that yeah, it, it just the way I'm trying to figure out, you know, watching back those clips, what techniques the corners were playing because it kind of looks like they like they're playing some sort of trap coverage, which is where you know they're kind of protecting deep, but if there's um, a, a route that breaks out from like the ins- the core of the field, right, from in a slot receiver or running back or whatever, they can close down on that and, and um, make a play on, on that route. And it, I think that might be what they were trying to do, kind of those trap blitzes, which is really, really interesting because they've never done anything like that. Like Barry has never – all the blitzes he's run have been from a single high structure, which is what a lot of zone blitzing uh, zone blitz, blitzing calls do uh, just because you're, you're able to replace that rusher with the safety. You're kind of – it's a little bit less complex, um, and you know NFL defenses can't always get into the weeds of super complex calls just because they have limited time to to teach their guys in the off season. And so I'm I'm looking forward to fi- trying to figure out what it what that call is. Um, looks like, like I said, looks like some sort of trap coverage, zone matching trap coverage with with an extra blitzer on, but it could also be a situation where. They're sending five, and then depending on what the running back does, multiple guys could have responsibility for him. So, like, if he flares out to one side, the outside linebacker to that side will break off his rush and carry him. If he, you know, heads into the heads to the inside, and the blitzing linebacker kind of stays on him, and he tries to break off for the route, the uh, the blitzing linebacker will kind of peel off and take him. So. There, there's multiple things that could be going on there, but just the thing that's really stuck out to me these past couple weeks, um, and I think there actually was another thing I forgot to mention. They were kind of continuing that theme from the last couple weeks. They were doing some stuff to game up their front. Specifically, they were running some run run stunts. So on early downs, uh, when they you know wanted to essentially steal back gaps oh, in those light boxes, right? They were playing a lot of cover two, a lot of quarters. They would um, run what, what in passing situations, what I would consider a text stunt. So the defensive tackle penetrates upfield into the B gap, and then the defensive end or outside linebacker, the edge rusher, loops around back uh, behind him into kind of the A gap region. But they did that a couple times on, on running downs. Um, and what I think they're doing they might be doing is uh read stunts where if the um if that the offensive line to that side to the side of the guys who are reading blocks towards them right as if like if they're running some sort of zone concept that way the three technique 
penetrates upfield, sets a new edge, and then the edge player loops around behind him. In theory, what's supposed to happen is the three technique will kind of become the new edge of the defense. He'll force the running back to cut back right into that looping edge player. And it actually, it, it worked at least once. Um, yeah, I believe it's Enigbari and maybe Jaron Reed, Kenny Clark. I'm not sure which one of them it was, but they were able to force the running back to cut back right into where Enigbari was. Uh, he didn't quite make the tackle, but um, reinforcements came in and tackled him for just a couple yard gain. So that's just the, the thing I've been really interested to see these past couple of weeks is just how many different answers the defense is developing. And, and I'm kind of at a point where I wouldn't say I'm confident in Joe Barry. Just, you know, I've kind of, for most of the season, I've harped on, you know, I don't really like how his system is structured. There's some structural issues I have with how he designs his run defense and, you know, the miscommunication and the coverage you know, just all the time. And so I, I wouldn't say that I, like, have faith in him or anything, but... I'm really encouraged with how many answers the defense is developing right before the playoffs. Because, I mean, that's what defense is. It's problem solving. And the more answers you have, the more offenses have to game plan for. And the more options you have to keep offenses off guard and stay proactive on defense. And just the, all the stuff we've been seeing uh, these past couple of weeks, right, you know, playing with all four-man fronts and just varying up those looks uh, post-snap with slants and, and blitzes uh, against the Rams, playing with a bunch of five-man and six-man looks against the Dolphins and using a bunch of different de- different defensive line techniques against, I, I think I mentioned it was against the Dolphins. Um, and then this week, varying up those coverages, I- incorporating more of those tighter man-matching versions of quarters I- into the game plan and also showing the ability to move around your, your star corner, right? It, you know, credit to Barry, he's adjusting, he's learning, he's, he's figuring stuff out. And I think that's encouraging for whatever this team is going to be for the rest of the year, or I guess the, the rest of the season, because the last year, last season and uh, last year's over. Um, so that that's kind of where I am with this defense. I I think that I don't think this is just playing a bunch of bad quarterbacks or anything like that. I mean, uh, there there are some factors that go into that, right? The bad offensive line for the Vikings, the questions about whether Tua had a concussion for those interceptions uh, against the when they were playing the Dolphins, and then obviously the Rams are just kind of dead in the water for the most part. But I think that even given that. I think it's it would it's okay to be encouraged by what this defense has shown so far because they're not doing it just playing their old stuff that they were playing all the year. They're trying new stuff. They're being creative. They're and you know this past game I I kind of talked about it on social media a bit. It's the best game they've played all year in terms of coverage distribution, uh, distributing routes, and playing tight tight to concepts and. That's kind of where you want to be. You know, you want to be improving as you go into the playoffs. So, I'm honestly excited to see where this defense can go. Well, we'll we'll see if anything happens. You know, it could all collapse against the Lions, and then we'll just be you know stuck lamenting what could have been. But I'm interested to see where this stuff goes. That's kind of all I had 
so I want to thank everyone for listening to another episode of the Wisconsin Sports Rx podcast. You can catch us pretty much every week around the same time. And I will talk to you again soon.